us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Since my mother um, developed dementia late in her life and, and quit cooking, and then since she died, I have spent a whole long part of many months and years now tasting pecan pie. Everywhere I go, I order and taste pecan pie because I'm looking for my mother's pecan pie. Y'all know how that is. You get a taste and you want that taste. You don't want any other pecan pie. Well, I, you know, before she died, I was asking her why I liked her pie so much. And she said, well, you know, I put a little hint of salt in it. And you know what that does, of course. It, it brings out the flavors of the pie, but it also reduces the, the sort of cloying sweetness. So you get the sweetness, but it, you get these other, you know, the flavors come out in it. So, you know, when we get to this scripture today that Jesus is saying, you are salt and you are light. This is perhaps among my earliest remembrances of scripture and one of my favorites. In fact, it is so much a favorite of mine, it, it, I have it printed and it sits on a shelf in my closet, in my bedroom. It's because I love this scripture and I love it because it's, it's personal to me. It's personal to me that I'm to be salt and I'm to be light and I'm to live in a way that that salt and light brings glory to God and that others experience that. They experience the glory of God through how I live and move and have my being. So it's very personal to me, this scripture, and I love it. I, I, I literally love it. So, you know... I want to remind us kind of where, where we landed last week. Last week, we heard the Beatitudes in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and just a quick reminder that what we are hearing is part of what the church and biblical scholars call the Sermon on the Mount. And we're still in that. And we'll be in that for a few more weeks. And, and that Sermon on the Mount, it's a pretty long sermon. I mean, Jesus is a little windy, you know? And... Uh, goes on for a little while, but this part today follows those blessings. And last week we learned that after Jesus had healed people and had comforted them, uh, he went out to a mountain where he sat down to preach and teach, and that's what teachers did in that, that period. They sat down to preach and teach. <clears throat> and his disciples, to whom it seems that the sermon is directed, followed him to that mountain. But so did this crowd of people come, people that he had loved and healed and, and who were seeking healing, the outcast and the marginalized. All these people came because they saw in him some promise of God. I guess we could say that Jesus was salt and light to them. And so and, and in some ways the crowds are eavesdropping on the teaching that Jesus is giving his closest followers. 
but it also seems that Jesus is directing some of these comments so that they will hear them and will absorb them. So we also heard, uh, shockingly so, for that period and for many of us still today, that these marginalized people were blessed. You know, we think of blessings as success. But we kind of are surprised, I think. They were surprised to hear that the poor, um, the marginalized, the suffering, that they're blessed. How can you be blessed under those conditions? And that we were called then to live in ways so that they would know they were blessed, right? And so that's where we get now to Jesus turning to those disciples and letting the crowds hear that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, we think about uh, God creating the cosmos and creating the world and saying, let there be light. So God creates the light, and then Jesus comes to bring the light, but Jesus says... <laughs> You are the salt. You are the light. So, going on, Jesus says essentially that God has made you and blessed you for a particular role in creation that is about transforming and redeeming the world. And then he uses these two wonderful metaphors, salt and light. And you know what, what that is, is that if you put too much salt in the pecan pie, you ruin it. It's just a little, small quantities of salt and light that make a big difference to a much larger whole, right? A pinch of salt really uh, in a dish flavors it, brings the flavors to life. In fact, salt is one of the only spices that enhances and brings out other flavors in a dish. I had to ask Stephanie this morning, do you consider salt a spice? She goes, well, yes. I said, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought it was its own thing. <laughs> uh, and a little bit of light does the same thing. You and I both know that when all the lights go out in the house and your phone's dead, you go looking for candles, right? And you can put a candle in a room, and it will light up the whole room. And especially if you put it in front of a mirror, then you get the double light, right? And so uh, it can light up a room, it can light a candle, or a, a, a small flame can light up a landscape. And what we know about light and vision is that uh, if, if a candle is lit, or if there's a flame, our uh, eyes can see that for 1.6 miles in the darkness. We can see that light. Now, that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal, miraculous thing, that with our vision, we can see that 1.6 miles. And both salt and light have elemental purposes. And by that, I mean that their identities are their purpose. So. So, salt is salty. Light is luminous. Right? So, their identity 
is their purpose, to be salt, salty, to bring luminosity, right? And Jesus points out in this scripture that no one would use unsalty salt. No one would light a, a, a lamp and put it, hide it away. It's, its whole purpose, its whole being, its whole identity is about what it is. The disciples and people on the hillside would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about since cooking was a central part of their lives. You know, no, uh, no, uh, what's it called? DoorDash. Yeah, thank you. No DoorDash, no delivery, you know, no uh, frozen meals. I mean, they cooked. They cooked a lot, all their meals. So, and salt was a preservative. So it was for their, uh, their ability to survive that salt was used. It was essential for their survival. And darkness was real. It's unlike our lives in which we have to go far out into remote places in our world to experience true darkness. You know, our artificial lights in the city give us light pollution, so we don't actually really see the, the cosmos in the night sky as they would have. Now, we hold within ourselves this very same thing. The disciples who followed Jesus and the people who were seeking Jesus to draw close to him, to have relationship with him, to, to follow him, uh, that, you know, that their identity was to be salt and light. They were to be the salty salt and the luminous light. You know, um, we hold within ourselves that very same identity. We hold the salt within us and the light within us. And we are blessed. We don't have to work at that. We don't have to scrunch our face up and do like this and, and work to please God in order to be salt and light. We are. That's part of our identity as created beings who are children of God. We have some important challenges in living into Jesus' teaching to be salt and light and to shine our light so that others may see God in us. Tish Harrison Warren, I don't know if y'all read her editorials, she writes, she's an Episcopal priest who writes editorials for the New York Times. She wrote this week about personal brand. She points out that not only do athletes, actors, musicians, politicians, and some pastors develop personal brands so that they're the brand, right? But she says we're all susceptible to that. Social media, this is what she writes, Today, social media inevitably turns everything we share online, from political opinions to heartfelt professions of love to a Bible verse or expression of grief, into content. Ideas for public consumption that elicits cheers or jeers as part of our personal brand. She says, to reduce ourselves to brands, however, is to do violence to our personhood. We turn ourselves into products, products and content to be evaluated 
instead of people to be truly known and loved. We convert the stuff of our lives into currency. Then she continues with this. Faith can challenge us to exist for something higher than ourselves. Jesus even spoke in stark terms of dying to self. A modern paraphrase of his teaching might be, what good is it if a person, what good is it for a person if they gain tens of thousands of followers but lose their souls? Perhaps this is our personal light pollution. This is how our lives kind of get diffused. If we spend our lives seeking to brand ourselves, how far do you think our light can be seen? It would seem that Jesus' observation that you are the light of the world gets diffused into the darkness of our brains, right? But remember this. In the same way that salt is salty and light is luminous, like I said, Jesus isn't giving his listeners a new role to play, neither his disciples nor those who come seeking him healing. He's naming who they already are. They don't have to work to become salt and light for the world. God made them this way, blessing them with gifts that can bless the world. They can be who they are, who they are created to be. This is the teaching of Jesus in this part of the gospel. Now, when I was a little girl, well, I'm still a little bit today, I was terribly afraid of the dark. I mean, like, and it may have been because I was nearsighted, and before I got my glasses, and even at night, I'd take my glasses off, and I, I just couldn't see very good. And it was worse at night, you know? You can see all kind of things sticking their head out of your closet when the lights are off and you are nearsighted, is all I have to say. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if, I don't know that they, they even had, uh, you know, night lights at that time, but I, I had to have a light on. You know, I had to be able to get a beam of light from somewhere. And so my parents would leave the hall light on and crack the door. So I'd have, and if I had just the smallest amount of light, I wouldn't have all the fear, you know? Well, um, the good news of the gospel for us today is the same as it was then. Just like those early followers of Jesus, our identity and our purpose who we are and what we're meant to do are one and the same. We are blessed. We already are blessed. Like salt and light, God made us small as small things who make a big difference in the world. God made us to spice things up, not to overpower the dish, but to enliven it and enhance and highlight it in others. And likewise, God has made us to shine as only we can, as only you can, as only you can, as only you can, to shine as only you can. A light that can illuminate an entire room or help guide someone home. You know, we heard uh, Paul's prayer in the letter to the Ephesians as our first lesson today. And did you hear what he, that prayer was meant not just for them. They think it was a circular letter that was sent around the Mediterranean to all the churches and that they just filled in the name of the church, you know. But they found it at Ephesians, you know. 
And this is what he says. I pray that according, listen, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, you may be strengthened in your inner being, your salt and light. You may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Do you hear that? Paul prayed for us then and prays for us now. Even now. My friend Rachel Hackenberg, uh, who is a UCC pastor and is the publisher for the publishing house of the UCC, the Pilgrim Press, said, even now, says the Lord, Yet even now, even now when the new year feels stale from winter, even now when police violence drowns communities in anguish, even now as anger fuels white supremacy's onslaught against education, medical care, and livelihood, even now as war, inflation, climate change, not to mention the ever-present death and taxes, even as these keep our lives on their toes and our spirits on edge, yet even now, we are not lost or doomed. Even now, there is a holy reassurance to keep us grounded, to know our inner being, to know we are God's, to know we are salt and light. Earlier this week, uh, I read an article by Kathleen Falsani, and she, she had watched a travel documentary about the oldest lighthouse in Ireland and the second oldest in the world. Hookhead Lighthouse in Churchtown, County Wexford. It is more than 850 years old, and while it's no longer staffed, it still has a working signal light. Operated remotely by the commissioners of Irish Lights. <coughs> Don't you love that? About 100 miles north of the county Dublin. But get this, the original keepers of the lights at Hookhead were monks who lived nearby and would set wood fires atop the tower to warn people and sailors away from the rocky peninsula. When the monks moved on in the 17th century, the wood fires were replaced by coal-fired lanterns, an oil lantern in the late 18th century, a paraffin lamp in the early 20th century, and finally, an electric beacon in 1972, which became completely automated in 1996. Over the course of eight centuries, the source changed, but the light remained. When an accident lit the first fire atop the when an ancient lit the first fire atop the tower in 1172, the area would have been surrounded by nearly total darkness. There was no light pollution in that era of rural island, Ireland. Even a small fire held aloft would have been seen for dozens of miles out at sea, up and down the coast and in all directions. So maybe the simplest lesson here, amidst the many metaphors, is that we should be generous with whatever light we can muster, because everybody needs it, even the tiniest spark. So let us step into the light. Let us be the light. The light of kindness, the light of generosity, the light of courage, the light of love. 